All right. We are doing now Tuesday's portion of Teruma. So to remember, on Sunday we begin with the various holy vessels of the tabernacle, of the Mishkan, and we started with Tyra. We started with the Ark, which continued to Monday when we discussed the covering of the Ark and the table. And today we discuss the menorah, the candelabra, very, very elaborate, ornate affair that was a little less than five feet and was the weight of 12,000, I'm sorry, 12,000 golden coins was the weight of this golden, pure gold candelabra that we'll discuss at length as, far, as much as we get through in our time. So we're in chapter 25. We are up to verse 31. You should make a menorah, a candelabra, of pure gold. Beaten out shall the menorah be made, its base, its branch, its goblets, its knobs, and its flowers should be hammered from it. So the first long Rashi is expressing the exact same idea we learned um, before in terms of the covering, the cover of the Ark, that, and this made the making of the menorah incredibly difficult because you can't take various pieces of gold and make them into the forms and then sort of meld them together. No, you're taking one chunk of gold, a huge amount of gold. It's called a kikar that hopefully we'll get to explaining that Rashi. And I said it's approximately the weight of 12,000 golden coins. And from this, you're going to pull forth all of the dimensions of this menorah. And the Rashi, to prove it, actually brings the exact same quote he brought us yesterday in terms of the covering of the ark, dolida nakshan, this idea of knocking the blow of the mallet that's producing the menorah from this mass of gold. But the verse actually says, Te'ase ha-menorah, shall the menorah be made, which is passive. Instead of you shall make the menorah, it's the menorah shall be made, as Sarashi explains. Why is it written in the passive? Because it, in the end, was, so to speak, made on its own because it was just beyond human. So God, in the end, said, you know what, throw the kicker of gold into the fire and it's going to make it itself, which is exactly what happened. So now we're going to discuss the dimensions, what this menorah is comprised of. So it has a base. The base is the foot on the bottom, which is sort of in the shape of a box with three little legs protruding from it. That's the base. And then from the base, we have a branch. When it says the branch, it actually means the middle branch, which was the most significant one, as we'll learn. The, the menorah is not like our Hanukkah menorah. It's seven branches, the middle branch, then three on either side. This is not mean a shamish. These are the seven branches of the menorah. The three on either side, their lights actually face that middle branch, as we'll get to later today. So the middle branch is a foundational one of this entire menorah. It had goblets. Goblets sort of look like these long, narrow cups. Of course, if you know Maimonides, Rambam's opinion, he says they're actually upside-down cups. The Rashi does not go in that direction. That meaning the Rashi is disagreeing. Rashi doesn't touch on that. It has knobs, knobs sort of shaped like spherical apples. And it has some forms that are in the shape of a flower. And we're going to learn more Rashi's to get more details on all of this. This is all beaten out in this, uh, coming from the solid block of gold. The next verse. Six branches emerging from its sides, three branches of the menorah from its one side, and three branches of the menorah from its second side. So these are emerging diagonally. They are not curved, as Rashi 
expresses, as Maimonides, Rambam expresses, these were straight branches emerging from that middle branch. And we have each one, so the, the two on, that are lowest, that start at the lowest point, are the longest branches. The next two that start higher are shorter, and the last two that start the highest are the shortest, because in the end they're all going to be perfectly on the same level. Next verse, three goblets decorated on the one branch, a knob and a flower, and three goblets decorated on the next branch, a knob and a flower. So for the six branches that emerge from the menorah. So it's decorated, meaning they, uh, they took the gold and they did something with it, sort of like embossing it. So it wasn't just flat gold, it was sort of like uh, a certain alloy finish. That's what it means by decorated. Now, from each of these branches, we have protruding these knobs, flowers, and three goblets. I'll do one more verse, and then we'll explain the whole menorah. 34. And on the menorah, there are four goblets. On the menorah, meaning her on this uh, central stem, the central branch of the menorah. There are four goblets decorated, its knob, and its flowers. So this is a central shaft of the menorah, which has these four goblets as Rashi explains exactly how it worked. And then the last phrase Rashi says, is, he can't really tell us what it means, because the last phrase says, decorated its knob and its flowers. And Rashi said, this is one of five verses that we don't know what does it mean. Does it mean they're decorated goblets? Or they're decorated, meaning the branches decorated with knobs and flowers. And in the Talmud, there are five such verses that are listed that we can't really resolve what they mean. There's two equal ways of interpreting them. And in his commentary on the Talmud, Rashi explains the difficulty inherent in each one of these verses. But in his commentary on the Torah, this is the only one of the five that Rashi comments on. The other four he does not discuss. So what did this menorah look like based on all of the various information that Rashi gave us? So we're talking about something that's 18 tefachim high, as we're soon going to discuss. Remember, we learned yesterday that a tefach is three to four inches. So if we're going to go to the higher measurement of four inches, four times 18, we're talking about something a little bit short of five feet, five feet of pure golden menorah. We have the base, which has those three little legs. Then from the base emerges gold that's fashioned like a flower. Now let's look at that middle stem. We have gold like a flower. Then we have two, as Rice is going to tell us, about two tfachim of just nothing, straight branch. And then we have now emerging from that same middle stem Three things, a knob, a knob is on the stem, and then on one side we have what we're calling the goblet, and on one side we have what we're calling the flower. Then again we have like these tutvachim of empty space, and then we have a knob from which emerges two branches, empty space, a knob, two branches, empty space, a knob, two branches, empty space. And then we come to the top of this middle shaft where we have three of those goblets plus another knob and a flower on the side, and from the knob emerges the lamp meaning the container in which the oil was put of the menorah. If we're looking at the six branches, so again, each of those branches came from that knob from the central uh, shaft, and they go straight out as diagonal pieces of gold. And at the end, meaning towards the top, we have in each one of them three decorated goblets, just like in the middle shaft, a knob from which is going to be that cup that's going to hold the oil, and on the side, a flower. And there are various ways, uh, various commentators on Rashi explain this positioning of the three goblets, the, shaft, the knob, and the flower. Verse 35, 
and a knob between the two branches from it, as we just discussed, a knob between the two branches from it, and a knob beneath the two branches from it, for the six branches that emerge from the menorah, because for every set of two is coming from one of those three knobs. And Rashi now goes into a very long Rashi, which explains what I just told you of the, the base with the flower, then two tefachim. Remember, this is three to four inches each tefach, so we're talking about maximum eight inches of empty space. And exa- exactly as, as I just went through quickly, the tefach with the goblet from those four goblets that are on the central shaft. And then you have the knob, the flower of the two knobs, etc. All, all of this as we just went through. And then Rashi sort of makes a grand sum total looking at everything. Again, this is a very long Rashi. I'm just pulling out the, the main central ideas, which I just explained previously in terms of envisioning this menorah. So if we're looking at the totality, there were 22 goblets, 11 knobs, and 9 flowers. Again, those 22 goblets, we have one goblet on the central shaft, about halfway up between the base, the end of the base, the top of the base, and where the first of the pairs of um, diagonal arms emerge. That's one of the goblets. And then each of those seven branches on the top has three goblets. So seven times three is 21, plus that one goblet on the central shaft, halfway between the top of the base and the first of those protruding arms. Those are our 22 goblets. We have 11 knobs. Again, one knob is about halfway between the top of the base and the bottom pair of arms. Then each of those arms, you know, of those three sets of two arms, emerge from a knob. So those are three more knobs. And then on the top of each of the seven branches is a knob. So we have one on towards the middle of the bottom of the base. We have three knobs from which each of those pairs of arms emerge. And we have seven knobs, one on top of each branch. So seven and three and one, we have 11 knobs. And then we have nine flowers. Again, just as we had a goblet and a knob, we also have a flower about halfway between the top of the base and the first pair of these branches. But we also have an additional flower at the very top of the base, meaning there's no goblet there, there's no knob there, but right where the base pairs from the, from the base and comes forth the central shaft. So right at that point of the central shaft touching the base, is a flower. And then we have a flower halfway up, like we have a goblet halfway up and a knob halfway up. And then we have on the top of each of the seven branches a flower. Again, these are golden decorations that we're calling a flower. So we have seven plus one midway between the top of the base and the bottom pair, and one at the very top of the base. So seven and one and one, we have nine flowers. Which means we have a total of 42 between the 22 goblets, the 11 knobs, and the nine flowers. Verse 37. I'm sorry. I think I skipped verse 36. I might have. Yes, I did. Verse 36, because there's no Rashi on it. <laughs> um, their knobs and their branches shall be all shall be of it, and all of it a single being out piece of pure gold. Verse 37. You shall make its lamp seven. The lamps, again, means, as Rashi explains, these bowls that are on the top of the menorah, but they're not separate from it. It's all from that same one kikar, one chunk of gold, just as we're fashioning goblets and flowers and knobs, we're fashioning these bowls to hold the oil and the wicks. So he shall make his lamp seven. 
He shall kindle its lamps. He is a high priest. And it will cast light in the direction of its face. It's casting light in the direction of its face because the face means that central shaft. And, again, we had on both sides the three and the three sets of light. They're all facing toward the Ner Ma'aravi, that central shaft. Its tongs and its scoop shall be of pure gold. The tongs are made to take the wicks out of the oil and to put the wicks in their place and to draw them out at the mouth of the lamps. The scoops are like small bowls that he's scooping out the ashes in the lamps every morning when he's cleaning out the lamps of the ashes of the wicks that burned through the night. So they went out, there's ash, we're cleaning it. It's actually, it's interesting, we say it's, it was part of a divine service, meaning every aspect in the tabernacle and in the temple was serving God. So the lucky person that got to clean out the ash, that was also serving God. That was a way of, you know, making sure his menorah was functional. And even the taking the ash and taking it outside the tabernacle was all, or the temple was also part of serving God. And everyone who could do any of these things, it was a lottery every morning from those priests that, that was their family's tour of duty that week. And any priest that got anything in the lottery felt so blessed that he could serve God in this way, including taking the ash out. So when we're cleaning our homes, we can remember it's God's tabernacle and rejoice. A kika of pure gold, shall he make it with all these implements? So this is where I got the information I told you in the beginning, that the entire weight of the menorah was precisely a kika. Because remember, it's from one piece of gold all this came forth. There was no extra. No gold was cut away, no gold was discarded, and no gold was added. The entirety of that kika was used, nothing more and nothing less. So as a kika, Sarashi calculates out for us that a kika is 120 mana. And a mana works out to 100, the weight of 100 gold pieces, which is why this one kikar is 12,000 pieces, the weight of 12,000 pieces of gold. And, of course, it is a pure golden kikar. There is a Mahona Mikdash built a, a menorah trying to duplicate the menorah of the temple. Unfortunately, they did it round and not diagonal arms. I think they said it cost them like a million dollars. Last verse here of, of the section. See and construct according to the form that you are shown on the mountain. Because, again, Moshe was confused how he's supposed to make this. And Hashem shows him this menorah from fire. Like, see, this is what it's supposed to look like. That you're shown on the mountain is like his uncle says that you are being shown at the mountain. Not um, okay. Well, we are going to stop at this point, but now we're going to speak of what the portion goes on because it's quite long today. It goes on to speak of the curtains that covered the panels that created the structure of the tabernacle.